welcome to episode six of the Wellness Mama podcast, where I provide simple answers for healthier families. Today's episode's interesting fact is that the human body is host to more bacterial cells than human cells. Many are housed in our gut, which today's guest and I will definitely be talking about, but every square inch of our skin has over 32 million bacteria on it. The majority of the bacterial cells in the human body are beneficial and necessary, but it is important to support the healthy bacteria that we all carry around and to keep it in balance. In today's episode, we will be talking about gut bacteria and why if you aren't eating dirt, you might want to start. I could not be more excited to introduce today's guest. Heather Dessinger writes at mommypotamus.com. I've had a blog crush on her personally for several years. Um, like me, she struggled with and, with and overcame an autoimmune disease and it was a catalyst on her journey to better health and real food. She's a wife and mom to three precious little ones, and she's also an avid researcher and a genius at creating recipes, do-it-yourself beauty products, and more. So welcome, Heather. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, well, I know like we probably will have a ton to talk about, so I'm going to jump right into the questions. Um, to start with, let's give re- uh, the listeners an idea. I love the name of your blog, and I um, I love the story behind it, but can you tell the listeners how you became Mommy Potamus? And I know there's both a practical and a health explanation here, so can you just explain your journey? Sure. So there's this book called But Not the Hippopotamus by Sandra Boynton, and I used to read it a lot to my daughter when she was little. It's all about this hippo that watches life happen, um, but the hippo's always hanging back. Like, some of the lines are, you know, a hog and a frog do a dance in the bog, but not the hippopotamus, you know. And then there's another page. Um, I just read it to my son this morning, actually, and it says, you know, a goose and a moose together have goose, but not the hippopotamus. And, you know, that was pretty much how I lived my life. Back when I was in college, my health was pretty uh, seriously deteriorating um, pretty quickly. I had really bad acne and we're talking like green oozing pus acne and I was really underweight. Uh, I suffered from very severe digestive issues and abdominal pain. Toward the end of college, it was actually sort of a toss-up between me finishing college and me keeping my my part-time job that I used for living expenses. Uh, So my mom um, actually um, helped me quit my job and uh, helped me financially uh, for those last couple of years so that I would just have the strength to finish. Um, uh, after a while, um, you know, after that, uh, they think, uh, sorry, things did seem to get better, um, but really what it was is I just sort of learned to mask the problems by using a lot of caffeine and um, over-the-counter acne medications. So, uh, you know, I thought I was doing better, but um, but it, it kind of came back later on. And for me, that point, uh, which was like the point that you look back and say, you know, things really shifted gears, uh, was my wedding. Um, I was on this beautiful island that was considered one of the last, you know, secret places in the Caribbean. Um, unfortunately, the reason it was uh, this, the secret place is that it had been off limits due to the fact that the Navy was using it for missile testing. So we got there, and we were told that no one that lived on the island actually ate the fish that was caught around the island because they had um, really severe uh, or serious uh, issues uh, around uh, concerning toxicity. So they imported all their fish. And um, sometime around our honeymoon, I started to get sick, 
And by the time I got back, I was covered in hives, and my health was, like, falling apart uh, within about six months. I was going to doctor after doctor and getting crazy and ultrasounds on my abdomen because they were not really sure where all this um, pain was coming from. And everything, you know, it kept coming back negative. And finally, uh, someone mentioned the possibility of an autoimmune disorder. And that was sort of a turning point for me where we started to get answers. Uh, but one day, I, you know, I dropped by my mom's house and she said that she had a doctor she wanted me to see. And so she started telling me about his practice, um, you know, the, the, mode, the modalities that he was using. And um, I kind of laughed and, and said he sounded like a quack. And, you know, we, we were kind of into the natural um, living movement already, but, but this was sort of like a new level of strange for me. And... So we actually still call him Dr. Quack, but it's, it's a very affectionate nickname at this point. Uh, he's like a grandfather uh, type that, you know, it's impossible not to like him. Um, anyway, uh, with the help of this doctor, I got well, and I discovered the Weston A. Price Foundation around the same time. So that helped me kind of stay well once I got there. I knew how to nourish my body and, and take care of myself. Uh, pretty soon after that, I got pregnant with um, with Katie, my first child, and I was told, you know, a few years earlier that that wasn't even a safe thing for me to do. So that was that was pretty amazing. Um, so when she was born, I would I would read her the story, you know, but not the hippopotamus, and I would get so excited at the end because the rest of the animals invite the hippopotamus to join them in this amazing life they're living. So, you know, at the very end, they're, they're all saying, you know, come join us. And she just, and the, the last few lines say, you know, and she just doesn't know. Should she stay? Should she go? And the last line is, but yes, the hippopotamus. And I would, you know, that was my story because, you know, after I got well, I just dove into life. I, you know, I wanted to do everything. I wanted to do all of it, all the stuff that I had you know, um, been missing out on. And so my husband used to laugh at me and call me Mommy Potamus. And one day he registered mommypotamus.com without telling me and set up a blog and told me to write. That's an awesome story. And I love that your husband was your encouragement too. Um, That's that's a beautiful story. And that's more in depth than I've read on your blog of that story. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, and now you're mom to three beautiful, vibrant little ones and a topic that you write about quite a bit that I love. And I think definitely needs more recognition is the struggle that some of your babies have had with lip and tongue ties and how these can um, become a problem for nursing and uh, they can actually create a lot of problems. And I, I've noticed myself, I see these more often, um, as a doula and when I'm assisting a midwife, we are seeing a lot of cases of tongue and lip ties. So can you talk about what these are and why they can be so problematic? Oh, yeah. If there is one thing I could tell my pre-mama self, it would be all about tongue and lip ties. Basically, a tongue or lip tie is a structural abnormality that can cause nursing problems and or symptoms like reflux and colic. So um, sometimes 
they're, you know, something that's diagnosed as one thing is really an undiagnosed tongue or lip tie, um, especially because they're really, really common. Um, most doctors, though, will not uh, know how to diagnose them because there was this, there was this kind of blip in history, this period in history where, uh, because it was promoted as healthier than breastfeeding, most women bottle-fed. And during this time, the knowledge about tongue and lip ties wasn't emphasized in medical schools because it wasn't really relevant. And so now that we've seen this, you know, resurgence in more women breastfeeding, um, uh, you know, we're seeing all these breastfeeding issues pop up that, that doctors aren't really trained to help resolve just because um, that knowledge didn't make its way back into the curriculum as our, um, as our choices and our, our um, behaviors changed. So the thing about tongue and lip ties is that they can present in a ton of different ways. So in my case, my only real symptom was extreme sleep deprivation. Uh, because my babies, my first two, my, my daughter was never diagnosed until she was two years old. Um, my son, um, because he couldn't nurse efficiently, um, he nursed more often to make up for it. So at five months old, he was still nursing every two hours around the clock, and I was exhausted. Um, and, and he couldn't nurse laying down because of um, his inability to latch properly. So every two hours, I would go and sit in a rock and hold him up and nurse him. And, I mean, I would fall asleep sitting up. I would be afraid I was going to drop him. I was, you know, really not functioning well. And there was this day that I remember I had some new clothes for him, and I put them in the washing machine with the hangers and the tags, like, still fast, and washed the load and got him out. And I just kind of looked at my life and was like, I don't know how I got here, but I need help. And so I called a lactation consultant, and she came over, and within 30 seconds, she just said, he's tongue-tied. And so um, it felt so good to get that answer to kind of, because, you know, otherwise I just felt like I was looking at my life and going, man, you know, these other moms, they're doing motherhood, and, and you know, they're, I didn't, you know, I didn't realize that, that some of the challenges I was facing in terms of sleep deprivation and stuff um, weren't normal. And so I was sort of basing my reality uh, against what I saw with my friends. And I just felt like, man, I just must really not know what I'm doing here, you know. Um, so uh, we had his tongue tie revised when he was five months old uh, using a traditional method that most ENTs uh, use, and that's the scissor method. Unfortunately, um, it did resolve his symptoms almost immediately, and then all of his symptoms returned plus more. And what I learned was that sometimes the scissor method can um, – it, it, any method, if there's not proper aftercare, can cause the, um, the frenulum, the, the part that's attached, um, to, to reattach. And then you've also got issues of scar tissue uh, that can cause even a more – severe attachment so that that tongue is being tied to the floor uh, so that it's not able to move in a way that nurses, that, that you know, can grasp the breast and, and get milk out efficiently. So after that, um, we took him to the foremost expert on tongue and lip ties in the U.S., Dr. Kotlow in New York, and we had it revised with a laser. Uh, lasers can 
uh, release more of the tongue because um, it, in a safe way than scissors can. Um, and so that's what we chose to do. And it, I mean, it completely changed my life. My son started sleeping through the night and I felt like a human being and, um, and it was great. So when I saw how much um, it really made a difference for me and, and it, I felt like it really helped me so much in, in just getting enough sleep um, did so much for me and how I was able to relate to my kids and, and, you know, keep up with the challenges of daily life that it's something I wanted to share with as many moms as possible, um, just in hopes of reaching the ones who um, were struggling or are struggling like I did. Yeah, that's, um, I've actually had that with a couple of mine now too. And, and I think the problem, like I said, is getting very widespread, but there isn't a lot of knowledge. Um, and since a lot of doctors may not be as adept at recognizing these problems since they weren't trained that way, um, what would be your advice for a mom on how to tell if your child might have a lip tie or a tongue tie and you might need to get a second opinion? What Dr. Cutler has told me is that really the best way to identify a tongue or lip tie is based on symptoms. And I think it's you know, a lot like uh, what we've learned about Hashimoto's testing, and that is that if you don't look thoroughly enough, you could miss something, and a lot of tests just aren't sensitive enough or, or whatever. So, I mean, this is a very similar case in, in that um, just because of the lack of training um, or a lack of emphasis on um, the problems that, you know, doctors may not catch um, especially a specific kind of tongue tie called a posterior tongue tie, which is not visible. It's still present, but it's in the back of the tongue instead of the front. So some of the symptoms that, um, that you can look for if you're a mom and you're breastfeeding, um, these are some things you might experience. They would be cracked, blistered, bleeding nipples, plugged ducts, uh, discomfort while nursing, Sleep deprivation, again, because baby's not able to nurse efficiently, so they're going to make up for it by nursing more often. Thrush or mastitis and low milk supply. Now, I had none of these symptoms except for sleep deprivation. So, you know, and my both of all of my children were, you know, had these issues. They were all tongue and lip tied. Um, so just because you don't have one doesn't necessarily mean that, that it doesn't, uh, that it's not there. Um, for the baby, what you might notice would be symptoms of reflux or colic, uh, difficulty latching, uh, gumming or chewing the nipple, gassiness, uh, poor, poor weight gain, making a clicking noise while they're sucking, uh, excessive drooling, choking and choking on milk or popping off the breast a lot to gasp for air. And my son, he had a few of these, like the gassiness and um, the difficulty latching, but he didn't have some, like the poor weight gain. He was totally on track, so, you know, it was, it was hard for me to see uh, the root cause because I kept eliminating in my mind the possibility of a nursing issue because he was gaining weight fine, but I didn't, you know, didn't factor all these other things in and, and kind of see the big picture until, until someone shared it with me, <laughs> you know, shared this information with me. Yeah, that's fascinating. And are there any problems, do you know, like ongoingly, maybe if your daughter, if, um, if she has one or if you know of children who've had one that was not corrected as a child, are there any like long-term 
consequences of that or or should it be fixed later on if they discover it or is it better just to let it go if it's if they're older mm-hmm. well um according to dr Cotless, there are some universities that are doing some research into that right now because there's not a whole lot of independent research on the long-term consequences but it does um, depending on the severity of the issue, it is um, associated with the sleep problems, I'm sorry, sleep, speech problems, um, TMJ, and even migraines because it creates tension in the jaw. Uh, my daughter actually had a lip tie and not a tongue tie, so she's pretty, she's okay. Like, we don't need to have things corrected that I'm aware of. Um, and both my sons have had their tongue ties released and their lip ties. Um, for those that are considering, because I know a lot of parents are like, well, we're sort of past the breastfeeding, you know, thing. Um, there is one additional factor for um, children, and that is um, because it's not as easy to clean the teeth because the, the frenulum is attaching the lip to the gums and it's hard to get um, a toothbrush in there and clean, there can sometimes be tooth decay issues. And... This actually happened with my daughter before, um, when she was really young, um, she would get breast milk kind of stuck on the top of her teeth, and because her mouth didn't clear milk properly, um, she had some decay issues on her top four teeth um, that were a result of the, the lip tie. I remember reading about that on your blog, and I think um, you guys have improved that dramatically also, um, but I'd love to jump into another topic that's kind of leads right into this, which is post-breastfeeding and the importance of soil-borne organisms, or SBOs. And, um, of course, the common name for SBOs is dirt. And one post of yours in particular was enough to convince me to uh, up my intake of soil, soil-borne organisms. And it ties in with the statistic I mentioned at the beginning about how our body has more bacterial cells than human cells. And you do such a great job of breaking it down. So can you tell us what's in dirt that is so important and how can we make sure we aren't missing out on that, maybe even if we're not going to go get a spoon and eat some dirt? <laughs> yeah. Um, have you heard about uh, the Belly Button Biodiversity Project? No, but I would love to hear you talk about it. So these researchers in North Carolina swabbed the belly buttons of 60 people, and they found 2,300 species of bacteria, about 1,500 of which have um, maybe they've possibly never been identified before. So one of the volunteers' belly buttons had this rare bacteria that has only been found in the special soil in Japan, but the volunteer had never been to Japan. And another person um, had what are called extremophile bacteria, stuff that you usually find in, like, the Arctic or, like, deep sea, like, way, way, way deep in the ocean. Um, So what the project shows is that there's so much we don't know about the symbiotic relationship between us and different types of bacteria. But we are starting to learn that there's one type of beneficial bacteria, and that's soil-based organisms that are like the Chuck Norris of probiotics for gut health. They're much hardier than lactic acid-based bacteria, which is, you know, what you would find in um, fermented foods, which I'm, of course, like a huge fan of. Um, But, you know, this is something that um, is beneficial in addition to them. Uh, Unfortunately, because we don't uh, garden for our food as often uh, um, like we used to, and and most of the stuff that we get from the grocery store uh, has been scrubbed, you know, clean. 
uh, we're not getting um, as many of these soil-based organisms as in our diet as we used to. Yeah, exactly. So what would be some ways that people could start incorporating these or, or get more of these? Um, obviously, it sounds like gardening would be a wonderful option, especially if they aren't irradiating and cleaning their vegetables with chlorine. But what would be some ways to start incorporating that? So what I did with my family, um, because, you know, most of the um, things that you'll find um, are going to be beneficial, you know, in the soil when you're gardening and stuff like that. But, you know, most of us haven't built up immunity to some of the not-so-friendly bacteria that we can find out there. So, you know, we're starting slowly in, in doing those things. We didn't, like, you know, start go out and start doing, like, daily mud baths or anything like that. But in the meantime, as we begin to increase our, our time outside and our, you know, and our gardening time, stuff like that, we are taking, oh, we do take a soil-based probiotic. Yeah, our family does also, and I, I, I'd say I've noticed a difference from taking it. Have you noticed also, do you feel like um, your body absorbs it well? I do. I, I definitely keep it on hand, and we especially take it when we're traveling because I just I feel like um, it's, it's very potent stuff, and um, it can knock anything out. So, you know, if there's a tummy bug in our house, that's, that's the first thing I'm reaching for. Yeah, definitely. And um, I know from my perspective, one of my big soapboxes is that children need to be playing outside and it just learning to interact with these organisms in a very natural way and I think mm -hmm. this generation has lost a lot of that because they're all inside more and they're watching tv or playing video games and they're not running around outside barefoot so um, my kids hear me say all the time like go outside barefoot in the sun and play and get vitamin d and interact <laughs> with the dirt you know like go be a kid um, right but I, maybe adults we should be doing that too going and playing outside barefoot in the sun that sounds good to me. Yeah. Um, so another thing that your blog is pretty famous for is that you have dozens of amazing natural skincare recipes across the board, skincare, hair care, everything. Um, and I think you've even authored an ebook on organic and natural beauty recipes. So could you give us a primer on why it's so important to use natural alternatives on your skin and then what your personal beauty care routine is? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, right now, you know, experts estimate that most of us have an average of 700 chemicals in our bodies, and these can be hormone disruptors, things that affect our thyroid, uh, formaldehyde, carcinogens, um, and a lot of these chemicals are known to bioaccumulate, you know, to stay in our bodies and then be passed um, down to our children when, when they're born. Uh, so it's really important to reduce our exposure and our children's exposure where we can. Um, and fortunately, it's actually very easy to do. I don't have, like, a giant cabinet of all these crazy concoctions. You know, I have a very simple routine. Um, and a lot of the things that I make can, you know, they have one or two or even three purposes. You know, for example, my homemade foundation powder and my dry shampoo recipe are pretty much identical. So sometimes when I finish my makeup, if it's been a crazy day and I didn't get a shower, I will take my foundation and I'll dust them on my roots before I head out the door. And and so that's, you know, obviously it's really easy. Um, you know, my clay that I keep in my in my bathroom, um, I use it to wash my hair and I use it to soothe bug bites and sometimes in a pinch I use it as a tooth powder. So it's, it's actually, you know, pretty easy and most of the products, uh, most of the ingredients that you need 
um, in order to make your stuff at home are very simple and versatile. Um, so uh, regarding what I use personally, it changes um, from season to season, and, you know, I'm always testing and experimenting with things, but probably the one thing that stays consistent is tallow balm. Um, I love it. I just, it, it really, really helps moisturize skin, and it's very um, similar in the way it's made up to skin's natural sebum. So, you know, it, it's very nourishing and protecting. So that's probably the one um, skincare product you're always going to find um, in my bathroom. And then other things I change, you know, um, sometimes I do oil cleansing, sometimes I use homemade soap, which kind of changes. Um, as for my kids, uh, they use the homemade tooth powder, uh, shampoo, and a vinegar rinse as conditioner. And, you know, that's pretty much it. Uh, oh, actually, they do use soap, at least sometimes. <laughs> I, they're outside a lot, so every once in a while, um, we do try to, to hand them a bar of soap and clean them up a little. Yeah, that's awesome, and that's a great point that you made about how um, if you have if you're making natural products, it's easy to just make all of them because I found this too. You only need maybe seven to ten basic ingredients, and you can make hair care and skin care and lotions and toothpaste. It's extremely versatile. So that's a great point. And um, I'll definitely link to some of your resources for that in the show notes so that others can find those recipes that you have because they're awesome. Thank um, you. And speaking of homemade and dirt, um, if I remember correctly, you guys recently just bought a farm. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we did. I love that. Can you give us an idea of what a typical day looks like now as a blogger and on a farm? So, um, Gosh, I don't think there really is um, such a thing as a typical day here, but that's because this is our first season, you know, kind of as farmers. Um, but I can tell you about um, my day yesterday. Uh, so yesterday morning, I spent a good part of my morning um, hunting for an injured rooster in the woods because um, we have a rooster and a dog that disagree about who the boss of the barnyard is. So the rooster picked a fight with the dog, and the dog was ending it, and um, the dog was winning. And so my daughter, who was collecting eggs, kind of ran back to the house and, and got our attention. And so, you know, we had, to, we had to sort of break it up. And, you know, my husband and I are just kind of looking at each other. And, and these are probably the kinds of things that an experienced farmer would not run into. You know, they, they probably knew this was coming. We totally didn't. Um, and they would have known how to prevent it. Um, but, you know, we're just really inexperienced. So every single day kind of brings a challenge like that. Um, I remember when we first brought our, our baby goats home, uh, we didn't sleep all night. It was like having a newborn um, in the house because they were out in their um, pen and they didn't really understand. We have, um, like Joel Salatin has these electric movable, movable fences, and we had something kind of like that. And so they kept walking into the fence and um, getting kind of caught in it because we didn't quite understand what was going on. And we couldn't sleep because we, we felt so bad and we were just so new to the situation and we kind of didn't understand some of the challenges we were going to face in bringing them home for the first time. By the next day, we were total, like, pros at so much um, with the goats. But, you know, it was a rough, you know, eight hours that night. Um, so, you know, there's, there's that. And then, you know, you know, this morning, you know, kind of another look into our, our life, you know, just very normal stuff. Like my son really kind of crawled for the first time this morning. He's been scooting around, but this time, you know, while I was making breakfast, 
you know, the kids were cheering him on, and he made his, his way all the way down the hallway and crawled into the tent that they had built at the end of the hallway, and the three of them were having a powwow. So, you know, like really, really normal stuff. And then, you know, tonight I'm going to walk to the waterfall that's on our, on our farm, and I'm going to gather watercress from the waterfall to serve um, with hot bacon dressing for dinner. So that's kind of like more extraordinary um, than I sort of ever imagined my life would be. I never thought I would live on a land, piece of land that, you know, just had a waterfall running through it, but it does. And so, you know, we're kind of, there are times that it's, it's just hilarious how little we know about what we're doing and then times where it just feels like transcendently amazing. And then there are times in between. That's awesome. And I have so much respect for you guys. I think that that's something so important that we need to maybe focus on as a country right now is moving back towards our roots of making like growing our own food and being in touch with where it comes from, even if that means just supporting local farmers. But I love that you guys are on the front lines and doing that. I have so much respect for that. Um, and we've talked about, so we talked about eating dirt and making lotion and farming. Um, and a question I love to ask other moms and bloggers is what's the most crunchy thing that you've tried or done in, in your whole real food and health journey? I don't know. Um, you know, all the stuff I used to think, um, that made me so weird has, has gone mainstream now. You know, like a few years ago, I wrote an article about like why we didn't wear sunscreen every day and it felt so revolutionary. And then like the next year I was seeing on the news, like a mainstream news outlets were reporting that, you know, some sunscreens may be associated with like accelerated aging and, and cancer. And I was like, whoa, I'm just totally mainstream. And then I think the New York Times, the year after that, they, like, published an article on why the flu vaccine was mostly um, a marketing thing. And and I just, I felt like, gosh, I mean, do I really, I mean, is there really anything left, you know? So there's part of me that kind of feels really normal now, even though maybe that's just my little bubble that I live in. Um, but I will say that there's probably one thing that probably makes me a little bit different, and that is that... Uh, when my family goes on a vacation, I typically uh, choose our destination based on the presence of a health food store because I don't, if we're going to go somewhere for a week, I know I'm going to feel terrible if I eat like a standard American diet for the whole week. So I just feel better if we find a place and um, usually where we stay has like a little kitchen or kitchenette or something. And, you know, I just hit up the local health food store and, and we eat basically like we do at home. And that's probably pretty hardcore um, for some people like that. That's, that's how I travel. But, yeah, I mean, I choose our our vacation destinations based on that. That's I love that. I, I do, too. And um, I love your point about all these things becoming more mainstream because I've had that experience. I've written about things like coconut oil for years. And I recently overheard a group of women in this small town where I live, which is not there's it's not naturally minded at all. Um, and I overheard them talking about like, have you ever used coconut oil? It's amazing. Oh, yeah, I used it for this. And I was like, yes, this information is finally getting out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I hate that we're already getting toward the end, but I have um, a few questions that I ask everybody at the end, and I would love to hear your answers. And the first one is, what advice would you like to share with other moms that you wish someone had given you? And, and you touched on that a little at the beginning, but I would love to hear what you would tell other moms that you wish someone had told you. 
you know, you you actually, yeah, we, we talked about it, and that would be the tongue and lip ties. Um, even now when I'm at, like, on the playground or a play date and I'm hearing, um, you know, mom talk about how her baby has reflex, I mean, it, it takes everything I have not to just reach my hand into their little mouth and just do a little sweep because if you know what you're looking for, they're pretty easy to find. And it's, it's kind of a... It's a hard thing because you, you don't want to be that person that's offering, you know, constant unsolicited advice. But uh, so I do just try to generally educate um, and share my experience a lot. I'll talk a lot about, um, you know, how my children had those same symptoms and how it ended up being, um, you know, an undiagnosed tongue or lip tie. And that's not to say it always is, but, you know, it's just something that I've encountered a lot. And so, yeah, but that would be the one thing I I. I try to communicate the most. And one thing I wish um, someone had told me. Awesome. And then the next question is, what is one actionable step someone could take right now? If they're maybe new to all this information that we've talked about, what's one little thing they could start implementing right away? Uh, well, I would say probably the one thing that um, has made the most difference for me in my health is just to get more sleep. Um, and I know that's really hard, especially when you have kids and nighttime is me time, you know, because I love me time. Um, but I found that for me, I had a lot of trouble peeling my eyes away from the computer at night. Um, so I installed an app called Flux, um, and it's available for PCs, Macs, and iPads. And what it does is it can change the brightness and the hue of your screen so that your brain can better uh, switch to sleep mode when you're ready to do that. So that's been really helpful for me in winding down at night um, to go to sleep. And I'm always um, much better off if I, if I get to sleep um, at a good time. That's a great tip to use Flux. I use it also, and I will link to that as well in the show notes so that others can try it. Um, I, and I've noticed that too. You, you do tend to fall asleep more easily and just get tired if, if you use something like Flux. Um, mm -hmm. And then one more question I would love to throw in, which um, obviously your blog is on the top of my list of health resources, but what is one health resource um, besides your own awesome blog that you would encourage other moms to read? Because I feel like we all should be constantly <laughs> er, like learning and maybe a book that you've read that was really helpful or, um, you know, anything that has been helpful to you. Okay. Well, this tells, this feels terrible to say it was because it's, oh, it's uh, funny, but um, my husband and I were just laughing yesterday about how. Um, every time I Google something, your, um, your blog comes up and I finally, I was like, why is this happening to me? Like, you know, and, and my husband Daniel said, well, well, Google has learned where you go for information. And so it's just showing you where you're, where you're going to go look anyway. So, um, but aside from your blog, um, there are a lot of great blogs. Um, one of the ones that I think has always been a staple for me when I'm getting, um, just, I guess you could say just feeling um, blah about food is I, I, I like to check out Nurse Kitchen because she has such a passion for food that it's just, uh, it just brings alive, you know, my joy of cooking again. It reminds me just of what a privilege it is to be able to bring all these ingredients together that have been grown with love um, from local farmers and, and things like that. So I go to her for a lot of inspiration and, um, Hmm. Regarding books, oh my gosh, I have, I probably have five books a week arrive from Amazon, so it's hard to pick just one. Right now I'm reading Salt Your Way to Health by Dr. Brownstein. That's a um, great one, I, yeah. I think it's really good. 
But yeah, I mean, I think I need to start taking a daily or like a weekly picture of my Amazon um, orders that just come because, you know, we live out in the middle of nowhere. So I don't go to bookstores. I just order everything. And um, yeah, I have a huge collection there. That's awesome. I love it. And um, I've already mentioned that you're one of my favorite bloggers, but can you tell everyone else where they can find you and learn more about what you've talked about and stay in touch with you? Sure. I'm um, at Mommy Potamus. That's, oh gosh, should I spell it? Yeah, go for <laughs> no, it. No, you can put it, can you put it in the show notes? Um, I can definitely do I'm, that. Okay, yeah, I'm at mommypotamus.com. That's me. Awesome. And you're on social media also. I think I follow you on all the platforms so everybody can find you there. Um, thank you, Heather, so much for making time. I think we collectively have eight children, so it's amazing we just talked for 35 minutes with no interruptions. <laughs> yeah. Thank uh, you so much, Katie. It was wonderful to get to talk to you. Awesome to talk to you, too. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have a second, please subscribe in iTunes so that you'll be notified of the next podcast episode. And if you um, would, I would be really appreciative if you would leave a review and tell me how awesome Heather was um, and anything you think I should do differently about the podcast. Until next week. Have a healthy week.